All right. Well, we will uh, attempt to get through this whole thing, and we'll see how long my voice holds up. It'll hold up exactly as long as the Lord wants it to, right? Uh, <clears throat> so he'll either be faithful and we'll get through this, or he'll tell me it's time for me to shut up. Uh, but let's look at let's look at Second Peter. Let's look at Second Peter chapter one. We've been we've been looking at how we respond to God's grace. Uh, this grace that has been uh, given to us, this faith that we have, that God has gifted us with, with all that we need for life and godliness, that he's gifted us his precious and, and very great promises, uh, made us partakers of the divine nature. He's rescued us from the corruption of this world. That's all verses 1, 2, 3, as we're laying out what we're supposed to do now, starting in verse 5. This is all the stuff that God has done for us. So what should we do? And so we've seen uh, that we should make every effort, that we should work speedily, that we should work hastily. We should, we should get to work quickly to get these certain things dancing with our faith. That faith is playing a tune in our hearts and these things are supposed to be choreographed to what faith is singing in us. And so what should be dancing with the faith that God has given us? We saw we've got virtue or, or as we said, excellence, we've got knowledge. This is all in verse 5. We've got self-control or discipline. We should be disciplined Christians. The word there, remember, is inner strength. And last week we saw steadfastness, uh, faithfully enduring to the end. Well, but that's not the end of what Peter is calling us to. What else should be dancing to faith's tune? What should be dancing with our Faith, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll read all of this passage together, and then we'll look at uh, how this list continues. We'll really only do one today, uh, and then we'll do two next week, hopefully. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in, in verse, uh, verse 3, we'll read through uh, verse 7. His divine power has granted us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he's granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the uh, corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or excellence, your excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, Godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Let's pray. Father, I do pray today that God, you would not only teach us these things, but God, that we would rejoice that these are the things that you will grow in your people. And so that as we've seen these and some of these we've excelled at and some of these we fail at and some of them that we thought we excelled at, your spirit convicted us and told us we didn't. And then others that we thought we were horrible at, your spirit showed us uh, just the ways that you've been growing these things in us. And so, God, I pray you'd continue to do that today as we seek to uh, live out the life that we should live in response to your great grace, that, God, we would just cherish your word and cherish the work of your spirit in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So what's next on the list? What's the next thing? He says, we should add steadfastness. Supplement steadfastness with what? With godliness. 
godliness, that you should be godly. Well, what does that mean that you should be godly? Godliness should be in your life. We've actually seen godliness mentioned already in verse 3, haven't we? This is how it started out in verse 3, that he's given us all the things that pertain, that he has, remember, gifted us. His divine power has gifted us all the things that pertain to life and what? Godliness, same word. So if you're a Bible marker like I am, circle that word, draw a line down to that word godliness down in the later. So you can see this is Peter's repeating these ideas. So, but what is godliness? What is that? How are we supposed to be godly? What does that even mean? Well, the word that is translated godliness there is actually a combination of the word good and the word for devotion or worship. Uh, it's, it's you, which is the word for good, and sabia, which is a word for devotion or worship. Eusebia. We're, we're actually used, we use words like this, with this combination. Uh, for example, a eulogy. A eulogy is the word, is a word that is you for good and logos for words. Good words that you say when someone dies. A eulogy. Words that are, that are good. Uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, sometimes it's called the Eucharist. We're taking the Eucharist, which means good grace or good sacrifice. Eucharist. Some people name their child Charis after grace. When we, we feel good, we say we have euphoria. That's good feelings. Feelings of good. You, you're euphoric. A euphemism. That's a euphemism for something. That's the word you uh, and phameo, which means uh, to speak. So a euphemism. Well, here we see the same word. Our word, Eusebia, is good devotion. It means, to, to, so when it says to be, to have godliness, it means you're living a life that is devoted to the good. Devoted, a good, devoted, a good worshiping life. And of course, the ultimate good is God himself, which is how you get that they translate godliness in, from a word that doesn't even have the word God in it at all. I, I would say for us, what we're going to look at is more clearly than maybe saying you should be godly, which implies you should be like God, which you should be. You should be holy as he is holy. Peter's going to say that somewhere else. I think this word is better translated Godward. That you are to be Godward in your life. That you and I are to live lives of devotion, of worship, to have our eyes fixed on the good, on God. I want you to live a life devoted to God. That's what you're supposed to do. Not just be godly. That's again, another thing, maybe a different sort of focus. I want you to be God word. Devote, your eyes are devoted to God. Your mind is fixed on him. Fixed on the Lord. You are to live a God word life so what do we do now that we know we've seen you excel you be a sponge you be disciplined you you endure faithfully and now we see live a godward life well what does that even mean i think that i think that's a little bit easier to understand than being godly uh, what does it mean to be godward well the best way to describe what it means to be godward is to look at places where god told us what it means to be godward uh, in other words, let's go to other texts that use this word 
and see if it describes it there. Now, an interesting side note for those of you who are uh, partakers of random Bible facts, which is normally all that people care about. Uh, Paul does not use this word godliness or godly in his letter to the churches. He only, he only talks about godliness. He only uses this word for godliness in his pastoral letters. I think that shows us just how paramount it is for pastors to live lives devoted to God. When, he, when Paul brings out this idea of being devoted to God, he especially teaches it to the pastors who, of course, are supposed to teach it to the people as well. But it is of paramount importance for pastors that we, be, we live lives devoted, and you see this in, in, like in 1 Peter, devoted not to money, not to fame, not to success, not to larger churches, not to better light shows, but that you live a life devoted to God and your, part of your worship of God is that you lay down your life to take care of his sheep. Uh, that's a whole nother sermon. Uh, that will probably be added to our Africa sermons next time we, we go. Uh, but what, what do we learn about godliness from other scriptures, about Godwardness, about living a Godward life from other scriptures? One thing we learn that I think is important is that a Godward life can be faked. That, that, that it is something you can appear to have, but that what shows whether or not you're living a Godward life isn't what you say, but how you act. Your actions will show whether or not your life is really devoted to God. Because if I took a poll in here and said, who wants their life to be devoted to God? Everyone would raise their hand. And if, and if we said, is your, life, are you, is your life a life given in worship to the Lord? Yeah, you'd probably all be tempted to say, yes, it is. But scripture says you can actually fake a Godward life. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, talking to Timothy, he says, Understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of Godwardness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. A life that is good word, that is devoted to the good, devoted to God. A Godward life can be faked, but your actions will show. Of course, the ultimate picture of this in the New Testament is the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, they love to talk about God. They would talk about God all that. Their life was given in devotion to God, right? They had the appearance of having a Godward life. They talked about God. They talked about theology. They talked about scripture a lot, but their lives were not Godward. So if you have someone who likes to talk about God a lot, about being even devoted to God, but their life is one of loving money or of being proud or they're never appeased or they're heartless, that's a fake Godwardness, he says. He says, you're going to have people that are all these things and they're going to have the appearance of being Godward, but on the inside, this is what's going on. A heartless Godwardness is a fake godwardness, a, an undisciplined godwardness 
is a fake godwardness. A godwardness that doesn't obey its parents is a fake godwardness. Kids, right? Like you love the Lord and you want to come to church and memorize all the catechism questions. Uh, But if you do not obey your parents, he says, that's a fake godwardness. An arrogant godwardness is a fake godwardness. And he says, avoid people like that. And certainly make sure you're not someone like that. So the Godward life can be faked, but it will be revealed by our actions. If you're living an unrighteous life, you can't live unrighteously and yet have a life that is Godward. It doesn't happen. A Godward life will be evidenced by righteousness in our lives. So everyone, it's like we saw last week in, in Proverbs, everyone likes to say, that they love the Lord, right? That they're steadfast in their love for God, but a faithful man who can find. Every one of us would say, my life is devoted to God, but your actions will show it. So make sure your Godwardness is not a fake Godwardness. Go through this list and say, is this describing me? I need to make sure that it isn't. I want my Godwardness to be genuine. So I need to look at the actions of my life because those will show me whether or not I'm not just saying, but living a Godward life. The next thing we see is that not only can a Godward life be faked, a Godward life does not happen on accident. No one becomes Godward just randomly because they turned down the wrong street and it happened to be leading toward God. You know, they were looking for somewhere to go. They ended up parking in a church parking lot somewhere. Next thing you know, they're leading a Bible study. Uh, although I think sometimes that's how churches operate. Uh, <laughs> you want to you join our church? We'll let you lead a Bible study. Uh, but the Godward life does not happen on accident. In fact, that's why Paul even has to go to Timothy. And say, you need to train yourself, remember, for Godwardness. This is where he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you've followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather... Train yourself for godliness. Same word. Train yourself to be Godward. Train yourself to live a Godward life. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Here is, we saw it last week. Here's another example of Paul using an athlete reference. The word there, trained, is the word, uh, is, is the word gymnos, where you get the word gymnastics. You should train like the the gymnasts train. And gymnasts have always been training and trained a certain way. Our own personal gymnast is rehabbing right now uh, her knee. You should train like a a gymnast as a Christian toward godliness. You should be able to look at how athletes train and you should be disciplined like that in training your life to be Godward. Now imagine if we did that. 
Imagine if we were as committed to making sure our life was Godward as people are committed to sports, athletics, extracurricular activities, whatever it is, all the other things. Imagine if we were like gymnasts who give their lives to do a backflip so they can get a medal. I did a backflip and I spun three times. That's what I worked the first 18 years of my life for. And I did it. And when they do it and they get that medal, none of them say, well, that was a waste. They all appear on their Wheaties box, their thumbs up. What if we trained ourselves for Godwardness like that? And people say we have a, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting all these references in, in, in Paul because people will say we have a modern sports problem, right? You hear, you hear it all the time. We got a, this problem with sports today. You, you know, you can, if you can fill a stadium on Sundays, but you can't fill a church. You can, they got, they got games on Sundays and games not on Wednesday, not even just on Wednesdays anymore, but on Sundays and not even just games. They got practice on those days and people celebrate at sporting events, but not like that at church. And people will talk about their sports teams, but not talk about God. We've got a problem with sports today, but that's nothing new. God has said since the first century here that look, we need to be as committed to our Christianity as people are committed to their athletics. We need to be good at these things. We need to train ourselves for these things. The problem isn't that people are devoted to those things. The problem is that they're not devoted to God. The problem is not that people are devoted to working hard. And he doesn't say, you know, gymnasts don't be like gymnasts. They train too much. He says, be like a gymnast in your godliness. He doesn't say athletes are wasting their times by running races and getting stupid crowns. He says, why aren't you running like that in your Christian life? Now imagine if we did in our motivations. What if we trained at Godwardness like people train at sports? What if if we as people or as parents spend as much time and effort in those things? And what's crazy about about godliness and godwardness is that it always pays off. I remember going outside and when I was young, I did this a lot, which is kind of sad. I would go outside and I would shoot the basketball. And I would shoot it over and over and over and over. And every now and then it would happen that I'd start hitting seven, eight, nine, ten in a row, sometimes from beyond the tree. That's where, my, that's where I shot. That was my, my three-point line. But you know what's funny is now that I look back at it, I could have practiced for hours and hours and started making, I could have made 99 out of 100 of those shots. And if, if, I'd, have, if I'd have played high school basketball, I wouldn't have been able to set foot on the floor because I'm not even six foot tall, Right? And even if I got to get on the floor, even if I was not just making all those threes over and over and over and over, like a college guy is going to look at me and go, well, that's cute. You can make a lot of threes. It's neat. Way to go, buddy. Because it doesn't matter how much I practiced. I'm not 6'9", right? And I, do, I mean, it, it, 
you, you can look out there and see there is a certain body type in the NBA. And it's not just these are all the guys that stood outside and shot threes all day long. And yet you have, you have people training. I trained for that. I wanted to be that. And then I wasn't any good at it, so I quit training at it and trained at something else. But if you train yourself for godliness, if you discipline yourself to have a Godward life, it will never fail you. What if, we, what if we disciplined our kids and ourselves to the same degree we discipline them in sports or in their education? What if we made them be just as committed to reading and knowing and practicing their Bibles as we are making sure they do their homework? Or making sure that they go outside and practice hitting the ball or practice pitching or practice shooting? What if we set ourselves down for Bible practice? What if, what if we were able to say of our lives, okay, it's time for Bible practice. I've got to train myself to be godly. Let's, let's grab our Bibles, kids, and we're going to get in them for the next hour. All right, ready, go. Or you could say to your kids, hey, you practiced your Bible today? Where we had to tell people, sorry, we can't make it to that this week because our family has Bible practice on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. We can't, I'd love to be able to make it, but that's the night our family really devotes themselves to making sure we're Godward. So we're going to practice reading our Bibles those nights. You don't have church? You have church that night? No, we don't have church that night. We're practicing. We're training ourselves to be devoted to God. Not church, practice. Not church, practice. I mean, the internet is full of videos. I know because I look at it. The internet is full of videos where, where parents and people want to see how to coach things. You can, you can go on. Don't do this because it gets you in a loop. I can't get out of these loops. I have to call Brian and say, Brian, get me out of the loop. Because it's so interesting. They will have videos how to coach soccer. How to coach baseball, how to coach basketball, how to coach swimming. That's an interesting video. Uh, you know, so. And, and parents and kids will look up and fig, try and figure out how to get the edge in those things. What if we spent that much time for ourselves looking up videos or reading books or saying, you know, 50 tips to memorizing scripture? 50 ways to best teach your kids the Bible. 50 tips to get your kids to memorize more scripture. Imagine those videos. All right, so dad, what you're going to want to do is you're going to start to get your kids out in what we call the reading position. All right, so this is their reading position. All right, so you're training your kids. All right, so you're, you're laying on the floor. You know, while you're memorizing. No, you got to get in your reading position. And you're marking down, oh man, okay, I never even thought about getting them in a reading position. Man, what have I been doing? Why is it that if it's an extra actor, extracurricular activity for school, if that's got something scheduled, that that can't be missed? But church on Sundays or Wednesdays, that's the optional thing. Often replaced by those things. The reason is we, we don't 
we, we can't, we, it's because our lives are often not as Godward as they need to be. And so then we're surprised when our kids' lives aren't as God devoted. Because remember, that's what Godward means, devoted to God. Your life is showing your kids and showing yourself what you are devoted to because one thing always kills the other. One thing always supersedes the other. And so then our lives aren't Godward and then their lives aren't Godward. In the end, we've wasted the whole reason that we're here. The whole reason that we're on this earth, which is to live lives devoted to God. Lives of worship as his image bears what it was supposed to be. And we've, we've had devoted lives. It's not like we're just running around hurry scurry. We've just chosen to devote them to a hundred meaningless things. Meaningless. And then the whole reason our kids are in our homes and not in some Muslim home down the street and not somewhere in the Middle East or not born in Russia or not born wherever The reason they're in our homes is so that you might show them what it means to be devoted to God. And we teach them to be devoted to everything else. And we will tell them, look, you made a promise. You got to be devoted to this. You got to be devoted. You can't quit. You can't give up. You can't skip it. And God says, be devoted to me. Live a God word life. Now, you can, of course, you can do all those other things. But it must spring. And it must be very clear whether it's an extracurricular activity at school, academics, sports, whether it's your own life, your hobbies that you've got, the things you like to do. It better be very clear that your life is devoted to one thing and all those other things must serve him. And if you're going, I don't know how they serve him, then kill it till you figure it out. But don't risk it. Don't risk setting up an idol in your home that you go, well, I'm sure we can figure out how to work this in. Make sure your life is devoted to God, godliness is an investment in your life that will always pay off. What if we worked hard to be godly? What if we trained ourselves to be godly? It's not going to happen by accident, Christian. It's going to take training. It's going to take time. It's going to take commitment. And it's not like we don't know those things. It's not like we don't know training. It's not that we don't have time. It's not that we don't know what commitment is. Because we are all those things for so many other things in our life. We we can't lament that our life isn't as Godward as it needs to be when we've spent no time or effort or training to make it Godward. Or we've just kind of hoped that it happened. And we then, in the meantime, of not training our life to be Godward, we've let other things slip in that we have become devoted to. And then we go, why? I didn't think my life would be devoted to this, but when I look at it, I make all my decisions in life about getting to this or doing that or doing this, and it's the thing that shapes everything else. You've got to train yourself Are you a hard worker to make your life as Godward as possible? 
to make your family's life as God-oriented as possible, to, to be able to break down everything in your life and to say our life is devoted to God, a life of worship of God. Paul says you've got to train yourself for that. So how are you training yourself? How are you training yourself like a gymnast to be godly, to live a Godward life? And let me tell you this, you need to go. Go to the gymnasium. Go to the ball field. Because what you'll see is they don't train themselves for one hour once a week. They live lives of devotion to those things. And your life needs to train as they train. So train yourself for godliness. Let me tell you, this place right here, this time, it is the chief training ground for God's people. So let me encourage you to not miss, to not skip the time when the church is meeting together. And some of us are weak because you've, you've missed a lot of practice. And it's going to show. Because the truth is for you, game time is going to come for you. Game time is going to come for you, for your family, for your marriage. And you're going to look back and go, you know what? I've been skipping practice. And it'll show. So train yourself for Godwardness. Look at your life and say, can I honestly say that I have made sure our life is devoted to God chiefly supremely, solely devoted to him. Okay, back to 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Because there's another thing in 1 Timothy 4, a couple things. Uh, That only happens, the Godward life only comes through the word of God. So that training to godliness is is only going to come through God's word. So 1 Timothy 4, uh, 6 and 7. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So he says a good servant, one who's training themselves for godliness, is being trained in God's word. So you see that there? Uh, at the beginning of verse 6 or halfway through, being trained, being gymnasted in the words of faith. So if you want to train yourself for godliness, you've got to be trained in God's word, in words of faith, in good doctrine. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Don't, don't, myths, that's man-made stuff. He says, don't have anything to do with man-made stuff, with stories. That word there for myths, <laughs> that word there for myths is actually a word that means stuff made up by old women. <laughs> it's really funny. And it's, it's, a, funny, it's a funny Greek word because it's like grouse. Uh, it just seems like a mean old lady making up stuff. <laughs> you say, stay away from stories that are made up by old women. And I, I think it's, it's, there's a reason he's saying it like that because what he's saying is that stuff's not real. It's a myth. And I even, I even think the word myth sometimes puts a, little bit too much, puts a little bit too much honor on the word. This is stuff old women have made up. 
And he says those things are irreverent, irreverent, silly myths. That's why that silly myth is just one word and stuff made up by old women. Those things are, those things are irreverent. They're common. They're base. That word there translated irreverent uh, is a word that just means something you put your foot on. That it's worthless. That they are not holy things. Remember, it reminds us of what, remember what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount about unsalty salt. What is it good for? What's it good for? Nothing but to be what? Cast out and trampled underfoot. That's the same idea. These things, these man-made things are of no value except to be walked on. These are, these are, these are old women's stories that are only, that have no value. You should walk all over them. So what should you do instead? He says, train yourself to be Godward. Train yourself to live a Godward life. That the life trained in words of faith is a life trained in being Godward. And and you can see the comparison. Fix your eyes on God by listening to his words and not the words made up by people. Man's words will naturally put your eyes on what? Man. Godward life comes from having our eyes trained on God, and that comes through listening to him and his word. So if you want to be Godward, get in the word. If you want to live a Godward life, you need to live a life in the word of God. Again, we see the Godward focus of this life in verse 10. He says, for to this end, we toil and strive. Again, you can see the, the effort that is taking place to, be, to live a Godward life. You're toiling, you're striving. Again, so many of us need to look at our lives like we saw last week and say, can you honestly say that your Christian life is one of toiling and striving to be Godward? Toiling, striving for these things. It says, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We will strive and we will toil for these things to be trained in God's word, to be trained in the Godward life only when, he says, our hope, our eyes are set on God. Get your eyes Godward and you will want to do these things. And what you'll notice is the more you do these things, the more Godward your eyes will be. It's a wonderful circular thing that God does. Get your eyes on God, and what you're going to do is never be disappointed. So what you're going to want is your eyes to be more on God. And we know that in our Christian lives. When, we're, when our Christian life is the best, and we are living a life devoted to God, none of us look back and go, well, that was kind of a wasted moment in my life. We all go, this is the best. I want more of this. And it's when we somehow slip out of those phases, and we look back to our college days, and we go, man, I was really devoted to Christ in college. We look back at the start of our marriages and we go, man, at the beginning of our marriage, we really wanted to have a godly home. And we look back at our kids and say, you know, when our kids were born, we said, sweetie, we're going to do this right. Our home is going to be devoted to the Lord. We even got that doily that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we don't have anything else scheduled. We all wish we could go back to that time. We all look at our lives and say, what happened? And God says, you want the Godward life, get your eyes on me. You want to get your eyes on me, get your eyes in my word. This is what Paul says to, to Titus, Titus chapter one. Again, you can see another pastoral letter. He's going to talk about godliness again. 
Titus chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with what? Godliness, godwardness. Paul's job as an apostle is to get the truth to God's people to increase their knowledge because that knowledge of of the truth is going to increase their Godward living. The more you know sort of situation, the more you know about God, the more you will want your life to be devoted to him and him alone. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that what? That accords with godliness, with godwardness, with a life of devotion to the good. The words of Christ are godward words. Things from scripture are godward words. Everything else ignored. So the the Godward life is not an accident. It's not an accident for you or your family. It must be pursued, but it can only be pursued through God's word and your obedience to it, right? The Godward life is not just going to be, all right, we're going to sit down and we're going to read the Bible for 30 minutes and we're going to walk away and it's going to happen. Look, that needs to happen, right? The reading of God's word needs to happen, but it's also going to be in your obedience, to the word of God, in them seeing, in you living a Godward life. And scripture is going to tell you what that Godward life looks like and what the Godward life isn't. As, as uh, Paul tells Timothy, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to teach you, it's going to reprove you, it's going to correct you, and it's going to train you for righteousness. That's what it's going to do. It's going to tell you when you're wrong, and it's going to tell you what's right. Uh, but you got to get into God's words to know those things. And then uh, the last thing, uh, a Godward life is the only unwasted life. And this is the one that like punched me in the gut. Because not only is it, does it say that this is the only way you don't waste your life, this is the only way you keep from wasting your kids' lives. And for some reason that hurts more to think about that I might be teaching my kids to waste their breath, the breath of life that they have, that I might somehow be teaching them to be devoted to a thing that is of no use to them. We talked about how we waste so much of our lives pursuing various things. That's never the case with the Godward life. With with a life fixed on God, uh, we'll, we'll see this, we'll look at this more closely of course, in a few weeks, and by that, probably a year. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. This is that famous passage that everyone wants to know about where you get all the passing away of creation. It's all burnt up. Uh, the heavens are burnt up, the earth and its works. And Peter, Peter says that there are things, though, that aren't burnt up. 2 Peter 3.11, since all these things, heavens, the earth, and the works of it, since they're all going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness, which again, I think is more like godliness, and God-wordness? Since all those things dissolve, why, why not pursue the things that don't dissolve? If you've had a life devoted to this thing and it's burnt up, then you go, huh, what have, I, what have I devoted myself to? He says, look, devote yourself to God 
and it's never going to burn up. You're never going to look and say, I've wasted my life because it's gone. It's not even real. I don't take it with me sort of idea. And he says, what doesn't dissolve? A holy life. It doesn't dissolve. What doesn't dissolve? A Godward life. If you fix your eyes on this world, if these things are your hope, they fade. They waste away. They are dissolved by the holy wrath of God. But the life that is fixed on God, the Godward life, is a life that will stand when everything else in creation is dissolved. And like we said before, I've never heard anybody say, you know the mistake I made? Putting too much emphasis on God in my life or in my family's life. Now, I've heard the other. I've heard the other. I've had parents mourn the loss of time, the wasted days, the foolish things that they taught their kids, how their own lives taught their kids that things are more important than God. And the worst thing that happened for the parents is this is the one time that the kids listened. And the kids learned. I've seen men who worked and worked to make a living for their family, putting hours and hours and hours at their job, not having time to teach their kids. I've had people talk about how they wasted their life. Here they are 50 and 60 and their jobs are over and they've got money, but they wasted their life and they can't get it back. But I've never had anyone disappointed that they spent too much time with their eyes on God. The only life that isn't wasted in this world that isn't when when your life is over, isn't just burnt up, trash, chaff. The only life is the Godward life. So I would encourage you today, Christian, don't waste your life Don't waste your children's lives. Live a Godward life. If for that reason alone. So how do we respond to God's grace? How can we respond to God and what he's done for us? We've seen the excellent life. Live an excellent life. Excel as a Christian. Be a sponge of knowledge. Be disciplined. Have inner strength. Be a disciplined believer. Endure faithfully. Whatever comes your way, endure it faithfully. And now we see, live a Godward life. So I ask us today, as we bow our heads, I want you to pray and just ask the Lord, God, am I living a life devoted to you. Because do not forget, that's what Godward means. It is not just a slight turn of the head. It is a devotion of your life. Ask God, God, can I say that my life is devoted to you and that there's nothing else that steals from that devotion? And if he starts laying things on your heart, make a list. Make a hit list for your life. If there's any chance that this is stealing my devotion to the Lord, teaching my kids to be devoted to something else, teaching my wife, my husband to be devoted to anything else, I need to kill this. 
get my life Godward and see what falls out of that. So Christian, is your life a Godward life? Is everything in your life pointed toward him? We've seen that if it is, then your actions will be. You can't just shake it. We all would love to say that our lives are Godward. We all know they should be. But our actions show it. Christian, it's not going to happen by accident. We've got to train ourselves for this. And it only happens through God's word. Train yourself in God's word and you'll be training yourself to live the Godward life. Because as we remember, the Godward life is the only unwasted life. Let's pray. Father, none of us want to waste our lives. And Father, not only do we not want to waste our lives, I I don't want to miss out on the joy, on the hope that could fill my life with, with peace, Father, and and happiness and flourishing because I've devoted my life to things that don't matter. I I want to be devoted to you because of what you've done for me. How could I not? How could we not say, I'm going to clear the slate of my life. I'm going to get rid of everything. I'm going to Make sure I'm devoted to you. And then I'll see how the other things can fit into that. But I'm not going to squeeze you into a space. I'm going to make sure that my life is devoted to you. That it is a Godward life. Please, Father, give us wisdom. Because this is very much a matter of wisdom. And give us a love for you, a love for your salvation. And Father, I thank you for this word that is able to grab our eyes and pull them upward even now. I pray you would be glorified in all that we do, especially in how we respond to you as you tell us to fix our eyes on you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.